in the U.S., although it's getting better, especially in the tech industry where the, the you know workforces are very global, very multicultural, in some of the more traditional industries in other parts of the country, or from the you know coastal tech centers, we don't appreciate what it means to have other cultures around because our country's huge. We don't have to go on vacation anywhere else. We can go on vacation in a bazillion places in the U.S. Welcome to Management Development Unlocked, where you will learn how to nurture a world-class management team. And now your host, Eric Gerard. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Management Development Unlocked. I am super thrilled that you are here. I have a treat for you today. While you still have your device in your hand, I'd like to ask the usual three favors. One, please subscribe to the show. Two, please share the show with just one other person. And three, go to Gerard Training Solutions and download my free ebook on becoming a manager. Today, I am really pleased and honored to have Janet Livingstone with me. Janet, welcome to the show. Who are you and what do you do? Hi, Eric. Um, you started with all the hardest questions, haven't you? I'm an executive coach and team performance coach and trainer and consultants. I'm based in Seattle, but sometimes I'm also based in Bratislava, Slovakia, where I am today. And uh, what was the second question? Who are you and what do you do? Oh, what do I do? Yeah. Who am I? Um, I, I answered the second one first, <laughs> which I do sometimes. Who am I? I am a global, multi-potential, multilingual leadership development practitioner. I coach folks worldwide, whoever is having an issue with their leadership, whoever's company has bestowed upon them the best gift ever, and that is a good coach. I am interested. Part of the reason why I do global work is that I have lived and worked in a number of different countries on a bunch of continents, and so I have a certain kind of empathy and experience that lends itself well to people from other cultures, people who are transitioning from one culture to another. And I'm just like people. I like to learn about new places. So that's me. Awesome. Well, I'm really glad you're here. You know, I, I have a background in intercultural communication. My master's is in intercultural communication training. I've lived and worked in lots of different places, but you're like you're like all of that on steroids. You're like amazingly <laughs> you're like <laughs> you're like a globetrotter. It's amazing. <laughs> you flatter me. Keep it up. Okay. All right. <laughs> you can you can pay me after the show. Okay. Okay. No problem. So yeah, I just I think this is going to be a really fun conversation. So I'm really looking forward to it. All right. So our focus today is helping managers learn to run good meetings in their own culture or on a dispersed global team. So new managers are people too. They don't necessarily have quote people skills. So let's talk about that. And my first question is, you know, again, thinking about the new manager, all right, a new manager might be thinking, okay, you know, I'm a senior program manager, I'm a senior engineer, I want to manage a team, I want to move up the next rung and make a little more money and have a little more responsibility. Why doesn't life stop at a promotion? First of all, I'm thrilled to be here. I, you know, just wanted to get that in there, Eric. Thank you for inviting me. Why does life not stop at a promotion? There is so much to learn. There is so, so, so much to learn. Most managers who are spe specialized in a technical area, right, whether they're in engineering or they're in something else, 
they've been focused on a thing, on a process. It might be a process with lots of parts. They might be a crack project manager. They might be extremely organized themselves with their tasks. They might even be really organized in their personal lives. But, you know, when you reach that point where suddenly you're given a team, a team that you have not necessarily been able to choose, right? It's kind of like your family. You can't choose them. And so suddenly you find yourself with a group of folks, whether it's three or 20, that's a whole new thing. People don't always do what you ask them to do. People very often don't understand the things the way you do. They don't understand something that you may feel is obvious, something that you're asking them to do. And they may not feel empowered to ask you, hey, could you say more? Or is that like this thing? Because I don't understand what you're asking me. They may never, right? They may never ask for more information and they may go away and do something very different from what you had in mind. They may not get along amongst themselves. They may come to you with complaints that you are not ready for. Just because you're good at what you used to do, now that you're a manager of a team, you may not be prepared to handle a bunch of people with emotions, with habits, with different communication styles, maybe from different cultures. Maybe you've never met them in person because all your main meetings are online. There are a huge number of things that first-time managers should be allowed to learn, right? That managers need time to work themselves into the skills that they need, and they should get support from their company. You know, one of the things that you you just said really resonated with me, which is the fact that managers need time to learn this stuff. And in my point of view, or, or from my point of view, I don't necessarily think it's fair for a new manager to practice on their employees. Mm. So what I would love to see is more companies saying, hey, you're being groomed for management, or you're interested in management. So here's a program. Let's mm-hmm. let's get you through, you know, the basics and get you into a lab where you can practice these things mm-hmm. before you inflict it on other people. You know, before you you cl- like for example, I had a friend who who was an inspiring manager and would would practice coaching on me. And I used mm-hmm. to make I used to make fun, you know, like we were friends, so it was okay. I used to make fun of his clumsy coaching. Hmm. But but imagine a new manager who doesn't know their team member very well coaching them in a clumsy manner and how that can be a real turnoff to a team member and, and cost productivity and engagement to dip. So I would yep. love to see new managers or, or aspiring managers to get some, some grooming beforehand so that mm-hmm. when they get promoted, they know what to expect and they know what to do. Oh my God, yes, absolutely. You know, it takes a company with some foresight and with a budget and a belief in the value of that to make that happen. And I don't know how many companies there are out there that are that are functioning that way. I do know that there's, you know, a whole thing with hypos, right? High potential people. So that seems to fit in this category. Like, okay, you're high potential. We see a promotion coming down the road. We're going to offer you coaching now. But I don't know it how, you know, how common that is at lower levels. I kind of get the feeling like, okay, this happens when someone is a high level program manager or a director and they're going to be promoted to senior director or VP. What's your take on that, Eric? 
You know, I agree. You know, and and coaching is becoming more democratized and it's it's much easier. So for example, I received coaching when I was at Nutanix as an individual contributor. I was able to sign up mm. for for coaching. Mm. And that was that was helpful and useful. But it's really important for new managers to get that coaching as well because new managers have such an impact on employees. You know, they're they're the next line from the employees. And so if a new manager kind of flubs it with a with an employee then then you know the the folks doing the work are not motivated they're not engaged they're looking for the next job and so that's yeah. why i think this is so important yeah and then you have a problem with retention at a basic level of the people who make the company go mm-hmm. right who are hands on doing the work so yeah i think it's it's hugely important and to be honest you know how many of us grow up like, okay, for example, I am in Slovakia. Slovakia is one of these cultures where people talk a lot at the same time. They interrupt each other all the time. This is normal. And, you know, I find myself on the phone sometimes trying to say something and the person interrupts me and they start talking and then I start raising my voice. I find myself shouting sometimes just because I'm trying to say something, right? I'm trying to say something that like has some information in it. It's not that I'm trying to say, oh yeah, well, I went out for a walk yesterday and I tripped and blah, blah. It's not nonsense. It's like, I'm trying to tell you something and they're going, and so like think about how many cultures there are in the world, sometimes including ours, right, where listening is not a priority, mm. where listening is something you're told to do in grade school. And it basically means be quiet and the teacher's going to talk now and nobody is allowed to talk, right? It doesn't mean focus fully on the person, look for the meaning behind their words. What kinds of keywords are they using? What kinds of emotions do you feel coming from them? Like these skills, which are so valuable for relationships. And we know that, you know, engagement and happiness at work is driven by relationships to a large extent. Not everything, obviously, but these these skills are so important. And many of us just walk through the workday without ever thinking about it. Totally agree. In, in my book, I talk a lot about empathy and listening in the first chapter. It's, it's the first and the longest chapter, and listening gets a, a good amount of space because it's something that we don't, I think, like I spent 20 years in Silicon Valley, and you know, in Silicon Valley, everybody's trying to, to jockey to show that they're the smartest person in the room. And so listening does not get much play. Mm-hmm. And, and yet the quality of... Let's just take it down to, to brass tacks. I mean, the quality of the work you get and the, the results you get for the company really hinges on people listening well and attending well and then going and executing on those ideas. Yeah. And as I was saying before, when you listen carefully, you also may realize sooner that you, something isn't completely clear to you. And so you can come back for clarification and you can save everyone time by clarifying first and then executing on the thing that your colleague wants or your leader wants, whoever, right? Whoever is you're listening to. And this is, 
you know, this is a combination of sort of listening skills versus also versus that good old power dimension, the um, cultural intercultural dimension of power distance, right? This is very familiar to you and to me. And this is something that can really hold us back. It can disrupt. Right now, I'm working at, with some Indian colleagues. First time was in the India for the first time last month. And wow. I mean, it was incredible. It was incredibly interesting. It was incredibly beautiful. And the whole interpersonal deal was wild. It was so different. And there were there were two things that struck me right away. The first thing is that the chain of command is very important. The power distance thing. I had a colleague who became quite anxious, a colleague who's Indian, became quite anxious when the higher-ups from our company were in the room. He did not want me to speak to them without consulting with him first. And my American reaction to that was, excuse me? I've known these guys for way longer than you have. I'll talk to them when I want. Now, I did not say that. But, I mean, his anxiety level was really palpable. And so that, you know, that kind of, those beliefs and those values, they really inform how willing you are to have, what's the word I want? Grounded conversations with people, honest conversations with people, right? Honest exchange. The other thing that I really noticed, and for me, this is kind of a cousin to the Slovak thing that I was talking about before, and no shade on Slovaks, this is my second home. I love it here. But what I noticed in the class was that like most Asian cultures, education is hugely, hugely valued, right? It's the way to have a successful life, move up in the world, etc. And so what they're taught is that you need to know. If you know the most, if you can come up with the answer the quickest before anyone else, then you get the kudos. You get the better marks. You get the love from your parents, right? And so I was in a room with 28 mid to senior level managers, all very accomplished, mostly men. And the professor of operations excellence came and he started, and they started shouting at him, all of them at once. No, but actually it's like this. And they were like jockeying. And I was amazed. And he really, he really had to defend himself. He had to say, no, wait just a moment. I'm going to talk about this now for a moment. Just give me just, and it was like this big, I can't think of a good word, but it was pretty chaotic. And he would ask a question. They were all jumping, you know. No, I know, I know, I know, I know. These are people in their 40s and 50s. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Yeah, yeah. And they Holy loved God. it. They loved the whole program. Mm-hmm. Right? So it wasn't any indication of you know dissatisfaction or anything like that. But I was just dumbstruck, you know. So now I know for the next program what it's going to be like. Yeah. If you haven't traveled to another country, I would suggest taking a trip to someplace very different from your home country. So, for example, for me, that was India and China. I, I took a trip. I took a trip to India and China, both for work, and was just floored at how very different. I've got I've got pictures I can show you. Uh, yeah. You know, street scenes. You know, it's just like you know, you're you're, you're driving along and there's a cow. You know, just yeah. stand, standing on the sidewalk in Bangalore, and and the cow is is 
that's completely normal. That's okay. Uh-huh. Yeah. And just the way that people act and, and yeah, it's very, very instructive. So if you haven't traveled much, see if you can find a way to, to get out of your home country and don't just go from like the United States to Canada, like take a, take a trip someplace else. Yes. Far away and, yes. and get exposed to a different culture. It's so important, Eric. I often wish that I could help everyone in the States, you know, like go to Africa for a, two weeks or a month just to, f- just to feel it, just to feel something so different that you can't imagine it until you get there. You can't imagine the colors. You know, you can't imagine the weirdness when it's summertime and it gets dark at the same time every day. Or when it's rainy season and it rains like clockwork every single day for like about 15 minutes, downpour, right? Or you ask someone to help you with something and they say, yes, madame. And then two days later, you come back and say, is it done? And they say, what? And you have to ask and ask and ask. I felt that that happened a little bit in India too, because the sense of time was just different, right? That one has to pull way back. One has to relax. One of the professors in India who I was privileged to meet, who teaches human skills and was doing emotional intelligence for us, for this, this was a leadership program that I was at. He said to me that Indian culture is primarily characterized by fatalism and optimism. And then he said, which is a deadly combination, <laughs> right? And this is, he's, he's Indian as well. So he was making, you know, commentary on his own, his own country. And after he said that, I began to think about what that meant. And I began to feel the behaviors and the way things were happening. And I understood, oh yeah, this is why my Indian colleague says, don't worry, don't worry. We're Indian. We know how to do things at the last minute because it will happen, right? And here I am as a U.S.-based, American-born project manager stressing about deadlines. Oh, my God. How many spreadsheets do I have doing project management for this? How many project, how many spreadsheets or, you know, versions of my PowerPoint do I have when I instruct, right? One of the reasons I love coaching is that I don't have too many spreadsheets, (laughs) for coaching. If you pulled out a a spreadsheet while you were coaching me, I would have questions. Yeah, right? (laughs) You you should have questions. (laughs) So yeah, I mean, there is nothing, there is nothing more educational and nothing that will push you out of your comfort zone more efficiently than stepping into another culture where everything is different and you don't know what you don't know and you don't know what questions to ask. And people make assumptions about you that would never occur to you in your whole life. And you about them. That's who we are as humans. You know, we're trying to make sense of things. So we're looking at things like, oh, they must be thinking this, or they must be doing that, or or they didn't pronounce my name right. They must not care about me. No, they probably just have a language that's very different. And the letters in your name just are not pronounced the same way in their language, right? And it's worth learning a language. That's also the key. I mean, wow. You oh, and yeah. I speak languages. We both. Well, I, I mumble a little Spanish. Spe- oh, come on. Didn't you tell me you were studying Japanese? Is that somebody else? That might have been. I No, I, 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 
I tried to learn Japanese, but man, that was that was years ago, and it didn't stick. It's hard. I took French in high school, and I am studying Spanish on Duolingo. And uh-huh. every so often, when I speak Spanish, the French comes out from you know forty years ago, which is pretty fun. Oh yeah, right. It's like layers of of external memory mm-hmm. in your brain, or in my case, sometimes like in my big toe. You know, like it's way far away. <laughs> you have to really dig for that stuff. <laughs> yeah, and it comes up at very inopportune times. I'll be in Puerto Vallarta trying to order a you know a glass of orange juice, and something else completely different will come out. <laughs> and you're like. Hola, un jus d'orange, por favor. <laughs> yeah, that's cool. That's kind of be like, what? <laughs> yeah, if you'll allow me, actually, I'm getting an association to something that's related to this, and that is that with with languages, first of all, oh, now I've already lost the first, second thing. First of all, if you go to another place and you attempt to speak the language, if you study it a little bit and you attempt to speak and you try to connect with people that way, Generally, my experience, you know, traveling, having traveled to, I don't know, 35 countries and having lived in a few, the response is always very grateful and surprised. And people are happy, like, oh, my God. Wow. She tried. Wow, this is great. She cares about us. She's interested in us. Now, they wouldn't verbalize that, but you can see it on the facial expression, right? You can see it. That's the first thing. The second thing is that... In the U.S., although it's getting better, especially in the tech industry where the, the you know workforces are very global, very multicultural, in some of the more traditional industries in other parts of the country, uh, from the you know coastal tech centers, we don't appreciate what it means to have other cultures around because our country's huge. We don't have to go on vacation anywhere else. We can go on vacation in a bazillion places in the U.S. So we're not exposed to a ton of other cultures that seem that different. Like maybe if you live in Arizona or New Mexico or Texas, sure, you're exposed to Mexican culture or Southern California. If you live in Florida, you're exposed to Cuban culture and other Caribbean nations and other Latin American cultures, right? If you live way up in Maine, you might hear some French Canadians sometimes, right? But other than that, so we don't understand how important it is to educate ourselves. Because the minute you step into another culture, if you're going to assume that they're going to do things the American way or that they're all going to speak English, they're all going to adapt to you, you are mistaken. And it doesn't make for a good exchange. And it doesn't make for a good name for us if we come across as being unaware, sometimes arrogant. Oh, I just want to say that. Yeah. Now, I agree. And I can't wait to take the family on a European vacation, but with a little preparation first. Uh, yeah. yeah. So I, would, I would like to transition now to a little more about you and okay. your, your product and your service. Mm-hmm. So do you have a product or a service you'd like to plug? Yeah. Well, my executive coaching, as I said, is global and there's a bit of a niche there. It's not my only niche, but the niche is intercultural. So anyone who is relocating for work or who comes from different cultural roots or, you know, it, it doesn't matter, or who's dealing with multicultural teams. Oh, my God. Anybody who's managing a multicultural team, that is my sweet spot. And I love to do that because I can bring that experience 
you know, I can bring the experience. So I used to work in global health. And so I found myself in bizarre situations, right? Like giving a presentation at the last minute in French in Cote d'Ivoire. So French speaking Africa, where, you know, there was somebody else was supposed to do it and they handed it to me at the last minute. And I was just like, no, really? No, I don't even know how to say this. And, you know, it came out or um, I had an experience in Bolivia, you're doing a strategic plan. I said to everybody, hey, my Spanish is not that great when they wanted to send me to Bolivia. And they said, no, your Spanish is fine. Just go and do it. And it was a huge job. And I delivered this whole thing with a couple of colleagues. And the head of the board who was sitting in the room, he was really the main audience. He listened for a long time without saying anything. And then he stood up and he lambasted all of us. He shouted at us for like 10 minutes. And I had a fight or flight reaction. Like I was like shaking in my boots because I've never been in a meeting where that happened. Right. And then he sat down and I had to keep going. And after we were all done, you know, he took the report from us and he went away and we all went to the airport and my colleagues looked at me like, how did you do that? How did you stay calm? I'm like, I wasn't calm. I was completely dissociated. I was just trying to look like I was calm. <laughs> and then later he wrote back like, thank you for the report. We're going to use these parts and those parts. And he was fine. So my learning from this bizarre situation was that he had listened to the consultants for long enough. He needed to stand up and assert his authority in the space. This was his organization we were talking about. This was his meeting. He was in charge. The rest of us were serving him. And that's it. And this was cultural. I asked a bunch of people. It was very cultural. And I understood that after some pain. I understood. This is a big tangent just to illustrate that I have been in all kinds of funky situations, not always by choice, but I've managed to work my way through it, both because of my language skills because of my willingness to work it through and ask some questions about culture and prepare ahead of time to the extent possible. And so it brings a kind of richness and a kind of empathy that someone who has not had the privilege of traveling, let's, let's just put this on the table now, that traveling costs money and it takes time. And of course, of course, not you know, most people can't just get up and run to Europe. So I want to I wanna say that because it's really not fair to assume that everybody can just do their thing. So I bring that to the table for coaching. And I have to say that I've had quite some success. I've coached a few folks, managers from China. These are like VP of sales, like highly placed people. I've had a South African coachee, a couple of folks from Latin America, and of course, many Europeans. And I'm continuing to seek out opportunities. So I, I do executive coaching where I bring to bear my intercultural experience. And I want to take a breather here. I have one other thing that I want to talk about, Eric, but do you have any questions here? No, I'm good. And actually, we're just about to the point where I want to start closing things. Okay. So the other thing I do is that I practice a methodology called Team Elements, which is a team coaching methodology based on iterative dialogue 
amongst a team. It starts with data. It starts with a very short survey. And the team actually gathers data about itself, about what pieces of its team performance and cohesion and its team existence they want to work on. So essentially, this is a coach facilitating a team taking real ownership of their development process. And it is so powerful. It is just incredible. The teams that do this come back for more, which is unusual, right? A lot of training is sort of one and done. This can be a one-month to six-month process. It really depends on what the team wants and what the company wants. So that's one of my other favorite things to do. And in my spare time, I facilitate leadership stuff at Boeing. (laughs) In your spare spare time. In my big spare, in my, yeah, Boeing takes up a lot of my time. Yep. Oh my goodness. Wow. That's super impressive. Yeah. And next time I find myself in a cross-cultural assignment, I'm calling you. Please do. Just buzz me wherever I am. I may be asleep, but eventually I'll call you back. Cool. All right. Well, Janet, that was just, that was such a fun conversation. I mean, I'm looking back over my notes. I asked you one question on my list and we riffed for half an hour. So that, that was just much fun. So thank you very much. How can people find you if they want to learn more? Yeah, you can go find me at my website, cultureiskey.coach. That's the way it sounds, C-O-A-C-H. Email is Janet at culturesky.coach. You can also find me on LinkedIn if you look up my name in Seattle. You will find me in, you know, usual places lurking around Seattle, lurking in jazz bars and, you know, doing what I do. Cool. Yeah. All right. Well, Janet, as, as you've heard, is worth talking to, so seek her out for sure. So thanks for listening, everyone. Please subscribe, comment, share, and connect with me on LinkedIn. We will catch you on the next one. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of Management Development Unlocked. Want more? Get a ton of insider tips and tools at GerardTrainingSolutions.com.